Hello, everyone, and welcome to Uncle Beach House episode 33. I am Jackson. I'm joined as usual by Ab. Anime time! Uh, it's anime time. Uh, and we're joined by a guest this week. Hello! Hello! Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I am Sniper Serpent. I am a tabletop game designer and fan of Scooby-Doo is the thing that is relevant to this show. Yeah. Uh, that's less uh, That's less frequently like how I introduce myself, <laughs> but here it's what matters. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, you have asked us to watch uh, the first 13 episodes of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, the 2010, 2010? Yes, 2010, 2009, 2009, late, around that time, uh, uh, Cartoon Network, Scooby-Doo Cartoon, um, we watched the first eight episodes. Uh, there are two seasons of 26, so about a quarter of the show we saw today for this week. Um, but that's that's what we're here to cover. Yeah. Uh, Jackson, you're probably the one with the least answer here. Tell me about your history of Scooby-Doo. Yeah, I do have the least answer here. So I, I watched um, Scooby-Doo as a kid when it was on uh, like CBBC and stuff. Uh, but it was specifically the Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo stuff. Oh, no. So, like, Scooby-Doo is a show about two dogs, and the little one says puppy power power, and then gets carried away because he can't actually find anything, but he wants... That, that's like the, the Scooby-Doo joke and formula is calcified as that in my mind, or was at least as a kid, even though I know that's a specific era of Scooby-Doo that everyone else despises. Um, and... I have, like, affection for it, right? Like, it, it was fun to watch. Uh, you have familiarity with Scooby-Doo, you know, like, what types of the characters are you. Uh, but I, I, didn't, I don't remember too many specifics about, like, getting into what it was, right? Like, this is my first time watching any Scooby-Doo as an adult. Like, I saw those two movies uh, as a kid, and I don't remember much about them other than thinking the first one was a bit weird because I was too young for it, because uh, that's not really a movie for children. Um... And yeah, so I remember being like the talking dog show. Like I remember Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo being like, it's talking animals, mascots. This is what we're here to do, which is not really what this show does. Uh, so it was a bit of a different approach for me. So what about someone else who's actually seen more Scooby-Doo than me? Sure. So as someone who, uh, you know, was born in the mid 80s, uh, watched a lot of television, there, Hanna-Barbera was uh, infected every corner of watching cartoons as a child. Uh, because mostly I think it's terrible. <laughs> Uh, and the one exception was Scooby-Doo, which I liked a lot. Uh, my Scooby-Doo interest is in the original run and the new Scooby-Doo movies, which uh, new Scooby-Doo movies are perfect. Love them. They're incredible. Um, the like ABC years stuff, like the Scrappy-Doo and 13 Ghosts was never into. I thought it was like too goofy. It reminded me too much of the like, you know, the seventies cartoons that I didn't, the eighties cartoons I didn't like growing up. Mm. Um, and so for me, it was always just if I could catch original Scooby-Doo with the original gang and you could tell even as a kid, I could just tell that they were different. They were made in a different era. They looked different. They felt different. Um, loved it. Uh, then I just checked out because I grew up and, uh, you know, there was reruns and everything. And I saw the live action movies and uh, I enjoyed them at the time. We'll probably talk a bit about them. I remember liking the second one more because it felt more honest to what Scooby-Doo was than the first one. Um because there's a lot of meta jokes in the first live action movie, but then I didn't see a single thing about like modern Scooby Doo uh, until this, which I'd always heard good things about, but uh, had never bothered to see. Um, should I go then? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I didn't. I don't think I've ever actually watched Scooby Doo on actual like television, just because it was on. But when I grew up, there was a uh, video store near my house, like a local queer-owned blockbuster equivalent, um, and they had a bunch of Scooby-Doo DVDs that I would rent. Um, and I think, uh, like, I watched most of the original uh, Scooby-Doo Where Are You that way, uh, which, like Em said, is the best of the old Hanna-Barbera stuff. And uh, some of the new Scooby-Doo movies, I remember uh, Scooby-Doo meets Batman and Scooby-Doo meets the Harlem Globetrotters very well. Um, just as, like, foundational. And then there were the, like, infinite direct-to-DVD movies, um, th like Scooby-Doo and the Cyber Chase, which is terrible, and then there's some ones that aren't terrible, too. Um, and I've watched, there's, like, 20 of them in all. They're still releasing, like, two every year. I have watched all of them. 
Um, they vary in quality wildly. <laughs> um, uh, also, Scooby, uh, what's new Scooby Doo? Which was like the early two thousand show with the theme song by Simple Plan. Um, that was like just a generic Scooby Doo show made in the early two thousands. That was my touchstone for what normal Scooby Doo was for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was in high school, I started watching this show. Uh, and then stopped watching it because it had too much gender in it. Um, and then, <laughs> and then watch. And then once it finished, and and I heard people be like, "Yo, the ending of this show is wild." I was like, "Okay, I'll watch the whole thing." Um, and then I liked it a lot when I came back to it uh, with a better brain about Scooby. That's a weird thing to say, but like, I was mad that there was an A plot when I first watched the show, and then I liked the A plot when I watched the whole show. So. Um, and now it's a show I think fondly of. I had not watched, before I rewatched the 13 episodes uh, for this, I had not watched the first season since, like, 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I watched the second season, like, three times, because there's a while where it was on Netflix, but the first season wasn't. Uh, yeah, no, the, the weird foibles <laughs> of digital distribution. <laughs> yeah, um... So, like, I watched this and I, like, no idea what was going to happen in any episode still, which was a lot of fun. And that would not be true of the second season. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, we, yeah, we watched this. Um, I don't know where we want to begin talking about it, because we've seen 13 episodes, and uh, I mostly had a really good time with them. Um, but there's not really much summarizing to do. I guess I can briefly summarize the, like premise of the season is uh, everyone is back to their old 60s designs, um in a way that was not true for a while like i went looking at some of the designs for like the the show right before this and they'd really tried to modernize scooby-doo and this is like consciously a throwback they're all in in high school together um at the start of the show and uh you know the whole the, the gang's in high school you know scooby-doo's with shaggy uh everyone's there looking like classic scooby-doo things and they have a fairly formulaic uh plot every week uh there will be a like cold open with a uh, victim of some kind of spooky thing. They will investigate one very obvious red herring, which will be revealed to not be the guy. It's the guy right next to them in a couple scenes. <laughs> and then they'll Basically. make a... Uh, you know, they'll find them after a short action scene and pull off the head and they'll be like, oh, I would have got a tip with a few meddling... Whatever. You know, they'll do a riff on that. And then there'll be a little tag about Mr. E, Edward Nigma. Um, <laughs> Everyone's favorite Bluff City character. Yeah. Um, about saying that uh, this actually all goes all the way to the top. Lost was four years ago, and uh, we've got we've got <laughs> oh, an shit, art here. Um, uh, Lost was in, started in two thousand and four, I think, and this is two thousand nine, so five years. Uh, this is twenty ten. I don't know why you keep saying two thousand nine. Twenty ten. Okay. I I thought it was two thousand nine. Whatever. Oh, ignore okay. me. Um, but <laughs> uh, yes. It, 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 so they have that that running running uh, serial plot, but then aside from that, that's kind of it. Like uh, I, I, you may think that's a bit rude describing it so formulaically, but the the point is to present the formula pretty honestly. It's a show that like likes Scooby Doo and so revels in enjoying that and makes a lot of jokes about it. It's uh, just mostly jokes and character beats. Uh, well, also, because we only watched the first half, the actual plot hasn't happened yes, yet. No, right? I know like... at one point, I know people talk about the show that like at some point it like explodes and becomes ridiculous towards the end because when all the plot stuff starts like happening, happening. But at the moment, yes. it is just doing Scooby Doo and making jokes about it. And there is also a like uh, arc created through uh, mostly references at the end or throughout episodes. There's mystery stuff. Yeah, the two the two the two thrusts here that uh, that summary misses is like they the mystery the the mystery team whatever are in uh, Crystal Cove, which is a town that sells itself as being super haunted, even though it's not. Uh, everything here is just someone in a costume or a robot doing something, and they are all skeptics uh, trying to like point out the truth because they believe in it. Um, and they're following in the steps of a, a an original Mystery Incorporated, which were a bunch of people uh, who did this back in the day, who seemingly have all disappeared, uh, even though clearly the lady at the radio station is one of the original Mystery Inc. crew. Yes. Uh, has not been revealed yet. Um, and 
Uh, I assume that it's going to build to like the revelation that the original Mr. Ink found one actual real ghost and it like they have to finish what they solved in like a let's make it but for kids sort of way. Um, like a generational horror sort of thing would be my guess. I don't know. Uh, but the other thing that this introduces is the kids all have like interpersonal relationships that continue episode to episode and build on each other and are like nuanced and interesting and even when they are often uh problematic let's say problematic and we'll everyone is terrible to each other in this show <laughs> yes um but this is this is a new thing right because like there's always the jokes about like you know uh fred and daphne are seemingly a couple but don't seem into each other velma's like a lesbian like these were jokes that were in the original live action scooby-doo movie um as jokes of like oh this is the thing is everyone talked about this show but the show was never about uh they just put it in the show and made it less like sneering about it i really don't like the first live action scooby-doo movie (laughs) i think i think it's acted really well i think the writing is like really cynical in a way that like it's very frustrating to someone who still likes scooby-doo that's the one where james gunn made it with the explicit goal of murdering scrappy-doo in the public consciousness right (laughs) i think so yeah um and he succeeded like scrappy-doo's not in any of the shit they make anymore except for them to point at and be like remember scrappy-doo he sucked and it's... I, I, I am compelled, not because I actually <laughs> like, but I'm compelled to defend Scrappy D because this is just peak fucking like Star Wars original trilogy prequel hater guy th- bullshit. Like, the, the oh, incredibly energy of yeah, boomer nerds. I, I... I don't like Scooby-Doo or Scrappy-Doo specifically, but uh, Scrappy-Doo is not unique to Scooby-Doo. Yes. Every cartoon of the late 70s and early 80s had a character like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hated all of them. It wasn't specific. Like, <laughs> if I were to make a Scooby-Doo show, I wouldn't put Scrappy in it because I think just the cast of these five is like the good cast. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think he is worthy of so much contempt. Yeah. Yeah. I think you could do I think you could do a revisionist Scrappy Doo that like worked and like reincorporated the character in a way that was interesting. The problem with Scrappy in the originals is Scrappy as the mascot character for a show that already had a mascot character just took it over to the point where they got rid of some of the main cast uh because they didn't have anything for like Fred and Daphne to do. Yes. Um, um to be fair, I think like Fred never has any character traits until this show. Yeah, no, I, I was amazed. I was like, wow, man, Fred has a character, and boy, it's a character. <laughs> we should get into it. We should get into it because it's, it's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Scooby-Doo, I feel like, has basically been, like, the one who's least affected by the, the revision stick on this. Um, the, he's the, adult. The, a dog. The thing yeah. that Scooby has in the show is he has a less, like, direct comedy bits about his voice. Um, yes. That is the thing that has changed. Um, but yeah Um, he's a dog yep uh shaggy and velma are in a burgeoning relationship and that velma is very hot for shaggy but in a very overcompensating way because shaggy is a very scared asexual boy in this show to me i also don't read this as velma being very hot for shaggy i read this as velma velma (laughs) shit as velma being like i am supposed to have a boyfriend i have uh, compulsory heterosexuality. It should be yes. Shaggy. I'm not actually interested in Shaggy as a person. Shaggy, Shaggy is extremely just like a, a Velma's beard here for this, and it works because Shaggy is so like non-threatening and clearly uninterested in relationships. Um, and that stuff is is mostly good though. Velma extremely just breaks out the pickup artist like playbook on Shaggy. She's just nagging him to like ch- change how he dresses and change how he talks, and it it sucks. That part sucks. She is the worst girlfriend in the world. Um, there there's the bit where like she gives him an elastic band to put on his wrist, and then he has to snap it whenever he says the word like. And that mm. was the one bit of the first season that stuck with me after not watching it for five years is just like how much that like felt terrible to me yeah, yeah. The, the the velma stuff is really uh bad because it i don't it's not done with like um the sense of intentionality where it could be interesting uh and the way i, you, I don't know if i is. go that far i think it's interesting uh well yes no i i think it's interesting but like i don't think they understand what they have uh, and you can prove this as, as a fact because they literally come to an episode where Velma is accosted by a gross fucking like creepy guy who starts doing basically the shit yes. that she's doing to Shaggy, except it's gross because he's fat and weird, but they, they never yes. like connect those dots. 
No, no, that part's true. That episode's uh, pretty bad. It's pretty <laughs> fucking terrible. Um, and then we have uh, Daphne and Fred. Daphne, Daphne is saddled with being like the normal person here, basically, uh, in this show, which uh, I feel like is normally like on Velma, but uh, this time it's it's Daphne who is just really putting up with her longstanding crush on Fred. Fred is. Uh, Fred is obsessed with traps, and by that I mean contraptions, uh, things by which to capture people. But the show definitely also plays it in the other way, in which we mean the long-standing dirty joke about Fred being obsessed with, like, you know, uh, traps used as a translur. They're definitely doing both here. They are, they yeah. are doing both. The first episode literally has him looking at a Traps Illustrated uh, magazine that they play like it's a porn mag, and it's not. Uh, it's just him looking at, like, bear traps and, like, ropes and stuff. Yeah, I remember, so, like, we, we posted this, and then, uh, you know, our friend Sylvie posted this on Main, it went briefly viral, and there were people yeah. saying, like, oh, this wasn't intentional, it was just, you know, you're reading into the cartoons, like, I'm, I'm sorry to break your bubble here, but this is definitely, inten- this wasn't made in the dark ages. <laughs> like, yeah, I know, the, yeah. The, this is intentional and it sucks, I like giving Fred, like, a thing, um, and I considering like trapping the monster is a long-standing part of these things. It makes sense to give him it. I do not like that joke and like the similar ones in this. I, yeah, it's uh, weird because like you know, animation has a long history of putting in jokes for the adults that like the kids can like hand wave away, and then they'll discover it ten years later. Like, man, that clearly I I wasn't paying attention when I watched this as a kid. Uh, you know, the the big famous one is the the fingerprints thing in Animaniacs. But this litters yeah. animation th- from like the thirties on. Uh, this is just what animators do. They're all deviants who put their weird shit in the show for adults to pick up on. Um, the Fred one is weird because it builds into like an episode or two where Fred has a gender crisis about like, maybe I'm not actually male, but it's played as like a joke on his understanding of like toxic masculinity. He's like, my identity is being the guy who doesn't feel things. And if I don't feel, if I do feel things, then maybe I'm not a man at all. Uh, and then he invents uh, new terms for being uh, non-binary <laughs> to try to explain his crisis of having emotions. And it's a lot, it's a lot to fucking wade into. Uh, I, th- I don't hate it. I think it's like, I think it's like touching on something really interesting. I don't think the writer, under like they, if they are working through some shit then they didn't succeed if they're just touching on something they don't really understand they, they did it better than people who were doing it intentionally a lot of times um but it's weird um like i i don't think they knew what they were doing there it's still uh like the hex girls episode where it's like most in focus i think is my favorite of these episodes yeah because absolutely of it. same yes yeah um also, I was like, man, they spent the money on, like, two custom songs for this this show. And then I looked, and those songs are from a movie that came out before this that I have to watch now. <laughs> oh, that is one of the best Scooby-Doo movies. And I actually, uh, half of my notes from that episode are about gender. The other half are me being mad about how much worse their versions of those songs are. <laughs> okay. Because I actually really like those songs. So I definitely have to check down out that movie then. Because that sounds they, great. They change the lyrics in a really weird way that, like, makes them not flow. They change uh, the line... Um, we may look bad, but we don't care to just we look bad and we don't care. And deleting a word just fucks up the rhythm. And I have no idea why they did that. Yeah. Um, that This is my hyper-specific gripe as a Scooby-Doo fan who likes the Hex Girls. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch that Hex Girls movie. Because uh, these characters were cool enough. I'm like, man, I uh, I really like Jim and the Holograms. Uh, I, I like dressing pussycats. Let's do this. Let's watch the Scooby-Doo, uh, you know, rock trio movie. Yeah. Um, they, they, show, they show up in a bunch of stuff. Um, because they showed up in the movie and everyone was like, hey, these goth witch vampire girls are cool. And they just put them in every Scooby-Doo thing now. Like, they always get an episode. Um, yeah. And what's new, Scooby-Doo? They did a cover of the theme song, which they can't do in this one because this show doesn't have a good theme song. Uh, no, no. It's just kind of like a, you know, noodly instrumental riff. Yeah. Um, Extremely meant to be skipped on Netflix, even though I didn't do that because I try not to do that. <laughs> it's yeah. not really long enough to be worth skipping. Yeah, but Netflix always is like, you want to skip this? I'm like, no, it's fine. I'm just going to let it go. Um, they, they do. Um, It's... No, I'm not going to say the thing about the theme in the second season yet. Um, no, no, no. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yes, we, we like yeah. the show, so we'll probably keep watching it. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, the 
the thing, the other thing that Hex Scroll episodes do is uh, to like more focus on Fred because I think he's super interesting in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, he is super co- like autistic coded. Like he is uh, autistic, and traps are a special interest. And like they're, he's super fascinated in them, and he mistakes Daphne's like being interested in him into also being interested into his interests um, in a way that is super bad for their relationship. Uh, but I also, like, relate to that <laughs> way too much. Um, and shit, I had something else about the Hex Girl episode, but now I've forgotten it. It was about what Daphne does, where she becomes a Hex Girl. Uh, my my favorite joke in this entire show is is in Daphne getting like glammed up where they take they put mascara on or like eyeliner on Daphne but she already has a cat eye in her character design so they just make the cat eye bigger it's so fucking funny (laughs) it is very funny (laughs) Uh, and then Velma's like please make me a hot rocker chick and they just ignore her (laughs) Uh, Velma in this episode is the most like unaware that she is having lesbian feelings towards characters because she is obsessed with this band uh, in a way that's really funny. Um, she is just like a K-pop lesbian, but in the 2010s before that yep. was a thing that existed. Yeah. Yes. Um, and th- 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 this is part of why I think they very much know what they're doing with the her being gay, but like thinking she having shaggy as her beard, that is a thing yes. the show is intentionally doing. Oh yeah, here. that, that yes. part is definitely intentional. Uh, it's just, just um, stuff, the dynamics of how she interacts with shaggy is a bit like, come on guys. Yeah, the thing about this is not that it's unintentional, it's just the people writing it are writing, you know, like yes. the, 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 the writing staff here is a bunch of men. Um, I assume they're all like, you know, older card, like animation writers generally. Um, and it just comes, you know, they're writing about things that are out of their depth. And I think they land surprisingly well for all that. But, like, you can tell that, that you know, this has the, it isn't quite Life is Strange problems, but it's not not that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think a lot of the times the ways it fails to land tend to be pretty interesting to me. Um, like... I mean, the thing, the thing I think that, uh, like, gives it a lot of strength, right, is that uh, it's doing all this stuff while also consciously doing a throwback, like, style of the cartoon. So, like, the dynamics between the characters exist and persist throughout episodes, and they have development, but they also don't have to, like, relate to what real teenagers look like. Like, they are consciously mm. not real teenagers. No yes. teenagers are like this. They are the Scooby-Doo characters. Uh, yeah. In and the first episode, they're like, fuck school, we're solving a mystery. We're solving a mystery, <laughs> yes. right? So they never have to, like, try to make them feel like real uh, like teens in a way that would be really corny and bad and a choice you could make making a cartoon like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, they just could, like, focus on the... Uh, like the interpersonal relationships in a more like abstract way uh because they know that you know who fred daphne uh shaggy and velma are right like they they understand this stuff Um, yes also shout out to frank welker who's just voicing fred still has been doing it since the 60s uh really like a standout role given here because fred's been thankless forever (laughs) yeah um i think I think they recast Fred for like the live action Scuba movie, and I was and I have not watched it because I'm really mad because Frank Welker is great as they, Fred. They recast everyone for Scoob. Um, uh, I, I think Frank's still Scooby though. But yeah, he's Frank not is Fred. still Scooby. Yes. He's the only one of the like <laughs> voice actors that are, that's still in that, that movie because they recast everyone else and everyone was mad because they're like, we're, we're pretty tight. Like that is not a cast that changes much, right? Like yeah, you roll I passes think... onto the next person, but. Uh, Matthew Lillard's still doing it, you know. Yeah. Um, there was a thing I got mad at in here in a very, like, specific Scooby-Doo way where uh, Shaggy, uh, like, box at eating vegetarian food. Um, yeah. And this... And for a while, Shaggy was vegetarian because his voice actor was vegetarian and asked for it. And this yeah. was honored for a long time, apparently until... Uh, the voice actor changed. Did the original die? Is that why it changed? No, Casey, Kasem, Casey Kasem voices uh, Shaggy's dad in the show, but it's it was like his last role before he died. Mm. Uh, like he was just too old. And like you hear him, and you're like, you can't, you can't do this. You're too old for this role now. And Casey right. Kasem, you know, he lived a long life, and uh, you know, it's fine. Um, famous radio host Casey Kasem uh, did American Top Forty for decades. Um, but um, yeah, no, Matthew Little here is weird because like. This is his first time doing Shaggy outside the movies, and he doesn't sound like a voice actor. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, initially um, I started this and was like, Shaggy sounds off. Then, and I didn't realize that, like, oh, Shaggy, every time I'd heard him, except in the movies, had just been the same guy always. Uh, yeah. And uh, then this was not only just a different guy, but, like, someone who wasn't a voice actor just was coming because they enjoyed doing it in the movie. And uh, I feel like uh, I got used to it as the episodes go, and uh, this is a good Shaggy now. But um, I definitely, like... Uh, it was, you know, it's totally different from what I expected, especially compared to like, uh, you know, Frank just sounds like uh, Fred just sounds like Fred because Frank Welk is a voice actor, most voice yes. actor. Yeah. The the thing with the vegetarian food is weird to me because I feel like this show has a strange undercurrent of like this gets in the broader stuff with the, the, the like the episodes have been about so far, but it has like this weird undercurrent of like these kids are all like Reddit atheist kind of folk. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, like they're like, oh, this woo-woo vegetarian environmental bullshit. This this doesn't rationally make sense in the world. Uh, I, I, like, and and the episodes also like buy into that. Like, there's a whole episode about like they shouldn't eat the they shouldn't eat the health uh, snacks because the health snacks are actually secretly bad for you. Um, okay, but the like, health snack is also like extra good water, like watery or water. So like. I think it's going for something. Di- or are you talking about a different one? I'm no, forgetting. I'm talking about I'm talking about the chips at like one of the last episodes. The, like, oh. uh, um, and so right. they, they and the thing with that is like they're sold as like a almost like a Newman's own kind of. There's like a grandma character who's like the face of these chips, um, and it turns out like you know they're owned by the global corporation that is selling the chips and putting bad things in it, and she's the villain of that episode because she wanted to destabilize the company for putting like landfill waste in her chips or whatever, which makes them delicious. Was um, that the Higarashi no Naku Korimi episode? Is it? I believe uh, so. Is it the, the, we don't the, know Higurashi, so... Yeah, no, get that bullshit out of sight. I don't have I don't 17 million either. hours to read a visual novel! <laughs> I, I just, I just like, after I, I like, decided to, to have y'all watch the show, but before I watched it, I saw people posting about how the this episode of the show is based on this visual novel, and I was like, what the hell is this? Um, and I looked it up on Wikipedia, and I have still no idea what it's about. <laughs> yeah, it's the... It's, it's the everyone's getting into Umineko this year or last year I guess it was but still not finished with it because it's so long um, and Higurashi is the one the guy made before that people like it a lot mm. there's currently an anime adaptation of it currently airing that everyone really likes I don't know uh, but yeah, that's just not context I personally have I, I guess I'll have to watch that for Scooby-Doo research then <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the thing with this is that like there's just this strange like friction that the show has that I don't think the writers are like a, like cable biting off of like Mystery Inc. is investigating people who are, like, forced into criminality because the town is, like, this run-down tourist town with nothing to sell people for tourism reasons. Like, everyone is trapped in, in like, late capitalist hellscape. And some people do that and, are, like, are turning to crime. And the kids are like, we're going to stop the crime because that's what we do. We, st- we solve the mysteries. But none of that addresses the, like genuine concerns the show is aware of where, like, the cops and the mayor are corrupt in this town. They're terrible people. Yeah, um, the my uh, the cop is Patrick Warburton, other most yes. voice actor voice actor in the world. Um, yep. Um, and the mayor is Fred's dad, um, which is another new piece of giving Fred something to yes. do. Yes, he's also voiced by Gary Cole, uh, famously that guy from Office Space. <laughs> mm-hmm. I haven't seen that, so um, I was lost on this one. Um, oh no! For for a lot of the intended audience, who I assume are like people in their twenties who are watching the show at the time, everyone knows who Gary Cole is. He is a, he is a very noteworthy voice. So this is a bit of stunt casting to me. Uh, yeah, um, I, I felt like not an entire, you know, uh, not a complete mark, but definitely like a uh, can still get me. Patrick Waterburn comes out does literally the same shtick every episode. I'm like <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny, dude. You still got it, I guess. It's yeah. interesting because like. That if that character wasn't voiced by Patrick Warburton, he would be like literally the most infuriating villain in one of these shows that we've watched in a long time. Because yeah. he's he's just a cop who comes up and fucks with these kids as like his he's like, I'm here to protect the capital interests of this town, and I am willing to put all these kids in jail to do it. Uh he he is very explicitly that. Like that's not that's not like a deep read of this. This no. is his textual role. Yes. 
Um, and but because it's Patrick Warburton, you're like, oh, this guy, he's just like a you know a chump, uh, and <laughs> we'll get clowned on by the show every time. Um, but it's 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 pulling that character out of just being too unlikable by giving him that voice. <laughs> Yes. Because yes. um, he's, it's miserable. These kids live in this town. This town sucks. Uh, outside the town just seems to be abject poverty. People like, you know, in failed industries trying to make things work. Uh, and, uh, and because that doesn't work out for them, there's nothing to sell. There's nothing to do. Um, putting on monster suits <laughs> that's what happens and the mystery gang is like well we can't address the actual issues we're here to solve monster unmasked monsters that's it they do yeah. basically have multiple episodes where they drive out into kentucky route zero <laughs> yes and discover <laughs> some like i think yeah. i think it's interesting because um because both fred and daphne are like explicitly upper class yes um, and, and Velma's like, you know, her mother seems to be like some sort of, uh, you know, like well-educated, like college hippie, basically <laughs> like a very like traditional sixties version of like if sixties Velma d- like smoked a lot of weed and then grew up and had a kid and it's this Velma, uh, that's kind of what her mom is. And then Shaggy is like explicitly the lower class character, right? Like his dad yeah. is uh lower class and he hangs out the dog and he's always hungry all the time. It's like, it's like poor kid stuff, right? Like he's like the, the ramshackle poor kid hanging out with all these rich kids. Um, and the show is like, not about that really, but it's there. It's like sitting on the surface to be picked up. I'm hoping that they do at some point. Uh, my favorite of the gags about that in this season is Velma's clearly like millionaire mom holding a charity auction and being like, oh, we oh, raised- Oh, Daphne's mom. Yeah, she's like, oh, how much did we raise? $34. I'll think how far that $34 is going to go. <laughs> um, the very first yeah. episode has an amazing gag where it's like, why did you do this? You already have a job as a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and he just looks at them. Yes, and Daphne's like, oh, right, right. right yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but so like, all of the episodes end this way where, like, this villain has a sympathetic backstory and they explain it and then they go, I wouldn't have got it. But just like a punchline for the I would have got away with it thing and then they just move on from it. Like, the show never sits with it. I don't think it would be better if it did sit with the, like, and now they have to, like, resist the thing, right? Like, it doesn't make the show better. But it does uh, build every week to, like, a situation where you're like, well, they, they're not the bad guy. The bad guy is the guy you're working for. But <laughs> they just go on to the next week and it's never really addressed. Yeah, um, the I think there's one episode where the bad guys were like insurance uh, fraud people. Yes, um, and that's the closest to it being like the capital doing the crimes. I think we got. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's the episode my only note for is what the fuck, Daphne. So I did not like um, <laughs> have proper analysis prepared for this, but um, yeah, the. We had, there's even an evil mega corporation who is set up to be like, hey, they're doing the evil shit, and then the villain is just the person trying to fight them. Yes, yes. Um, and I assume that like corporation will like continue to exist in the world the world for a while because um I know a lot of this stuff comes back uh, yeah. as the show goes, but I'm I'm very curious where that stuff will end up going because I I can't quite tell what the like worldview of the show is in this stuff because uh it's about this stuff but it doesn't like dive into it but it's also the very nostalgic for like the the pure kids in the 60s solving the things these are the the real the only ones who know the truth of how to how to actually tackle things like all the adults are corrupt uh all the other adults are like trying to kill people and uh, we have the scooby-doo kids in the middle and there's a weird joke in the um, second last episode where they go to college and there's a running gag about like daphne joins the student protesters who are just like ludicrous parodies of like communists who are just like picking things to protest about in a way that feels like hilariously dated at this point yeah, when you think like about the, the betrayal led, student protests they're led by like fake Che like the yes. fakest the fakest Che in the world um, and it's just like none of the protests speak none of it clearly means anything um, in a way that's clearly like I think the position that this show is in is your classic, well, clearly capitalism sucks. What are we going to do about it? Um, never imagining something different uh, at this point. I mean, um, th- this stuff specifically feels like, oh, the kids, the rich kids today will dress up as the protesters and pretend, you know, it's all cosplay to them. But with, it just as like a weird joke in a show about how, like, 
every single villain is motivated by economic ruin is very dissonant to me and you know which is not a thing i expect a scooby-doo cartoon to get into uh but it is all there and this joke did seem weird because of it yeah um it's a weird joke to put in your lovecraft pastiche episode Oh yeah, also it's a Lovecraft prestige episode, which is bad, because Lovecraft is bad. Yes. Um. Uh, yeah, like, it, it definitely is, like, invested in, like, no, like, you know, Lovecraft's still something worth protecting, to the point where they get Harlan Ellison to come in and talk about how good Lovecraft is, basically. Like, he's playing 70s version of himself, uh, voicing himself, uh, which is fraught in general, uh, because Ellison's, uh, a, you know, he's dead now, but... <laughs> uh that guy sucked that guy was also bad yes um but then but then on top of it of course they get jeffrey combs to voice the fake lovecraft guy so i'm just having a good time on that front (laughs) the only Uh, thing that saves that episode is jeffrey combs being there they name uh they named their fake lovecraft hatecraft which is very stupid yes Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, the thing about all this stuff, like the friction of all this tension, is I like, it kind of needs to need like get into. I assume the second half of the season, the original Mystery Inc. people to like, you know, we aren't going to know how this stuff plays until th- those characters show up. Yes. Like, there's a lady at the radio station who's clearly helping the kids, and then there's Mister E, who's definitely a member of the original Mystery Incorporated, who's like leading them along, leaving the clues. Um, and there's the parrot. Uh, and then there's the parrot, parrot the, yes, the Udo Kira voicing a parrot, uh, who is just ridiculous. I don't, I don't understand this character at all, um, because they play it as cartoonishly villainous. But as far as I can tell, the original Mister Ink seem like they're like inspiring the kids to do better. I don't know if that's going to be a villain turn or not. Like it's just like mentorship through adversity. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's really interesting. I'm really excited to see how that plays out in um, the second half of this. Yes, they do. Um... I do think it's they part of the parrot thing is they were just like how cool would it be if like the old gang's um, Scooby became Hannibal Lecter? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, not in the eating people sense, but in the giving advice yeah. for, in the glass cage sense. Um, yes, they literally put him in the Hannibal Lecter Magneto cage. Too too dangerous to be let out. <laughs> Um, and does the thing where he's supposed to be super smart, but the writers can't write a character who's as smart as he's supposed to be, so he just does, like, weird shit to the guard that doesn't make sense. Yep. Um, and yeah, what do you two think of Angel Dynamite, the character who is definitely not a member of Mystery Inc., who is the first, uh, who is one of the other uh, recurring characters who aren't from old Scooby-Doo shows in this show? Um... This is definitely a 2010 show. Uh, <laughs> in in this character, it, it's it's such a it's such a weird choice. Uh, she's voiced by Vivica A. Fox, which is like you just nailed it on the nose. I can't believe you've done this. She voiced the you know she acted as the one black character in Kill Bill in this basically exact same role. Um, this like you know we because this show is the 60s designs and get away with just having a black exploitation stereotype in the in the show but as like a mentor to the kids she's mostly pretty cool um you know you you can you can cast Vivica fox in like a, a role that is like vaguely racist and she's still gonna do it that like that's her career it's the career of all black actors and actresses um so she's good in it it's just weird right like it's it's definitely got a friction that i don't think you'd get away with this today i think some someone would call you out yeah <laughs> and there's there that's just kind of the sense I get from like the whole show, right? Is it like yeah. it wasn't yeah. done with a thoughtfulness in that way, but it was done with a thoughtfulness in like how it was implemented. Um, yes. Like I think the writing's generally pretty good, uh, and you know this stuff and the Fred stuff, I think it will, is of a type of stuff that would extremely get you cancelled today. But uh, outside of the like surface level, obviously, don't do this stuff. It's done, you know, as well as it could be mostly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a sense with Angel that they think they can get away with doing a black exploitation character because it's clearly with the very not subtle foreshadowing about who she is that like this persona she's doing is a performance the character is doing. Yeah. Um, but it's still the performance is a black exploitation character. Like I'm not trying to say that's not a thing that the show is doing, um, mm. but. Um, I feel that this is how the writers justified, like, doing this to themselves, most likely. Um, Mm -hmm. um, Or maybe they just didn't know shit. That's also possible. 
I can't, I can't say for sure, but um, I'm trying to think. There's a few. We talked about the cop already. Uh, that's like the other big recurring character. Yeah, I do think it's weird they have a radio host character. And they haven't done a fog parody with her yet. Like it writes itself. I was like, oh, they're, they've set her up to be, you know, the uh, the character who goes through the fogs uh, episode. And they've done like there's a really extensive and good Terminator episode about a Terminator Scooby Doo. <laughs> yeah, that's. Um... I'm pretty. I'm. I'm like. Is there a fog episode, or is that just so fitting that my brain is constructing a fake memory of it? Because well, we haven't. We haven't gone to it. Yeah, I mean, it's possible yeah. they'll still do it, but yeah. Um, the Terminator episode literally has. It's weird because it starts as a Terminator episode, goes really far to a Terminator episode, and then at the very end pivots into Scooby Doo in aliens mode, destroying robot Scooby. Doo. <laughs> and you can tell, like, for a fact, someone was in the writers' room saying. Can we get away with Scooby-Doo? Because it's a robot dog, you see, saying get away from him, you bitch. And they couldn't. They couldn't actually put them in the show. <laughs> but I know I know they wanted to, because they do the shot, and he says just some nothing line <laughs> to the robot they do, they do. They do crush the dog's spine yes. to where it's dragging its robotic legs behind it, which you can get, you know, if it's a robot, you can get it with all sorts of violence. That's the legacy of 80s cartoons. <laughs> yes. uh, that, they fuck up that dog so much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that that part of the episode is incredible. Unfortunately, that is the same episode as the guy with the crush on Velma. That's very gross. Yes, that that sucks. Yeah, it's um, it's fucking bad. It's um, so weird because like they go to that guy's house and his mom lets them in and he's he's like on Skype with his friends who are all nerds also, and I don't understand in what universe Velma isn't like part of that group already. Like. It, this show's really invested in, like, Velma is the cool nerd in, like, a modern sense. Like, oh, yeah, the nerds are actually the cool kids. But not to the extent where they're willing to say, like, that's true of all nerds. It's just true of hot nerds like Velma. Uh, like, in my brain, definitely some, uh, this, uh, some of these nerds are, like, on Velma's Discord or whatever the 2010 equivalent is. Yes. And she just has no idea. Um, yeah. But... Uh, the show doesn't think that. The show thinks there are different levels of nerds, and it's very gross about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but then there's a sick robot dog, and that part's cool. Yeah. Um, the robot dog literally bursts into the animal asylum depicted as a police station and fucks up the cops, just <laughs> like The Terminator. You know what's a good movie? The Terminator. The Terminator yeah. is a good movie. Um, concept of an animal asylum a bit. Yeah, the, the, the Animal Asylum is super, like, they don't spend enough time with it for it to clearly be like a Batman, like, a, you know, we throw the criminals in the asylum riff, but that's definitely what the aesthetic is. Yeah, um, and, but the thing is, it's just like a giraffe and then, like, Hannibal Lecter the parrot yes. uh, are the only animals we see besides Scooby in here. Yeah. Um, so, um, there's clearly a concept written around wanting to put Hannibal Lecter the parrot in and trying to desperately figure out a way it could make sense. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that stuff uh, shows generally... Uh, Sometimes it just leans into, like, the aesthetics of something without spending a lot of time with it. The one that, like, I think the episode that's the most, like, man, you just, you just did, you just walked into doing the racism trying to comment on the racism is the K Horrifico episode, where they oh, get, yeah. like, a South American professor who's here investigating, you know, he's talking about a mythical creature called the K Horrifico, and then it shows up, and they're like, oh, clearly he transforms in the K Horrifico in, like, a very, like, wolfman sort of way, and, uh... That that episode leans directly into we're talking about the ways in which horror fiction is often like racist about exoticizing people while doing the same thing to this man in this episode. Uh, yes, it's 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 there like uh, Scooby Doo does this specific type of racism a lot that I'm like uh, the like my brain conceptualizes it and there's probably a better way to call it like the Indiana Jones style indigenous racism the like. Spooky New World indigenous monsters and cultures type. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just like Scooby Doo loves having monsters driven from that, and um, it sucks. Um, but like, I think my notice that my note when I started that episode was like, "Is this the really racist episode?" And then later I'm like, well, it's definitely a really racist episode. I'm (laughs) sure if it's the one I was thinking about. Um, 
Uh, I mean, it definitely like you know the the show has limits that it can't really cross because of its uh you know because of its perspective, right? Like it's still a show mm-hmm. about the the gang of white sixties kids uh, being the beacon of truth in mm-hmm. uh, a small town. So it comes to this episode where it's trying to comment on this stuff, but it's still like, oh, look at the creepy pan flutes, um, and. It just, yeah, it just does the thing self work Which is why we said that, like, I don't think it, all the other times we're saying, I don't think it'd be better if it did this more directly, right? Because here's a situation where it does tackle something far more directly, far more intentionally, head on, and is the not, that doesn't actually make it better about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that said, uh, as far as one of these goes, like, I was, because I knew this was the one that was, like, you know, winky and naughty uh, about the legacy of Scooby-Doo. Um, I'm really surprised how much I find that stuff relatively thoughtful here, because this is still a show that believes in the format of Scooby-Doo, right? Yes. Like, there's there's a monster that shows up, there's some folktales, everyone's scared, the kids uh, construct a bunch of, uh, you know, traps that go into comedy bits, and then they reveal that the monster's not who you thought it was, uh, even though you always thought it was a person. Uh, <laughs> this show, because it is, like basically doing like a law and order parody version of this you know it's not the guy they think it is it's always the person next to them i think jackson you said early on like it's very clear to spot who the character is because it's the one that isn't the one they're directing towards and there's always like two new characters in every episode yeah so so the one that got me with this was the episode uh with the auction the vampire episode where it's so clearly daphne's mom's vampire girlfriend who looks more like a vampire out of costume than she does in costume Um, And it was like, well, it's all, and they were doing a fake out about it being uh, Velma's mom was the vampire, but it's like so obviously this other person, it was like, this must also be a red herring, but it's not. Yeah, yeah, no, they didn't do a double. Well, that one like is more playing with the fact that you know that they're doing this, so they just play up that person. Because there's a bit where they're like, "Okay, Daphne's mum, we've got to go find Daphne's mum," and then they knock on the door and Daphne's mum there, and then like slides into frame this <laughs> other vampire, and it's like, "Hello, <laughs> like, oh, hello." <laughs> Um, I, I guess that's the other upper class villain of the show is the uh, vampire uh, who's well, seeking eternal youth. I guess she's upper class, but like she's upper class in the sense of like her entire thing is like motivation of jealousy towards like Daphne's mum's like perfection as like this rich, beautiful lady who's able to never be neither of these things. Um, yeah. So like even that is like a situation where the villain is uh sympathetic in a different way but definitely like is pointing towards like a societal tension right like she's motivated for for reasons that are understandable uh if not like good um and it's another situation where like daphne doesn't go you're right i have been born into the world's most perfect family ever and i have all the privilege ever and this will like you know it doesn't it's not going to do that (laughs) you just get these like little notes at the end of your episode where it's like uh just bring the stuff up you're like uh-huh. Uh, uh, I also super galaxy brained myself on that episode where it starts at the auction and the vampire steals a $5 painting and my note is like, ah, oh, this episode's gonna be about fixing art prices. She's stealing the <laughs> painting to drive it up in value and that's not what it is. Well, I thought when she came in and said, I want the painting, the guy would say, it's $2! <laughs> because the auction's going so badly. <laughs> Yeah, th- th- this is why this is why my brain was like, you would have just buy it if you want it for some like evil scheme that makes you require the painting. If you're stealing it, it's because you're trying to drive the uh, the value up. But the show's not interested in art price. I feel like could be. I feel like that was an unreasonable to think that is a no. Scooby Doo villain motivation. It totally could have gone the direction. They just had a different plot. Like yeah. Um... I also like that, like, that episode, the, the thing was like, oh, there's a recipe you put, like, in a Cosmo magazine for immortality. Um, and it's like, try this at home, kids. And then one of the ingredients is the Hope Diamond. Um, it's, like, w- the weirdest episode plot. It's not the weirdest. This is Scooby-Doo. Like, every other episode is just as weird. But that stuck out to me as... Just because I thought it was art, because I like art price. I don't like art price fixing. I find it interesting. Those are different yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. No, I I understand. <laughs> um, 
Uh, do we have any other any other episodes we want to briefly mention and bits? We um, hit? Fred Fred deciding they needed uniforms was good. The uniforms are good. Yeah. I love the uniforms. They all hate the uniforms. I'm like these uniforms are sick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're the really uni- cool uniforms. The uniforms are definitely sick, but when the whole point is to be their sixties designs, they can't have the uniforms. Yeah, no, no. It, it, the thing is, if. It, the uniforms feel like they are from like a Scooby Doo in Space seventy show that never existed. They just look um, like uh, not exactly, but like you know, they look like Thunderbirds uniforms, right? They're of yeah, this era yeah. of st- they look so cool. I love the uniforms. Yeah, there is a Scooby Doo movie called Scooby Doo Moon Monster Madness where they're just in normal suits the whole time, and it's set. oh good. Uh, it's it's maybe my favorite Scooby Doo movie. Um, I'm gonna go uh, pitch a Scooby Doo Toku show. I would watch the hell out of that. You watch the hell out of that, yeah. yeah. Me too. Yeah. Um, there's the... Um, um, I, I'm just, like, going... I have these ordered by episodes. Uh, I have a note where a lot of these monsters have extending arms, which I think I just noted, because we all think that's cool on mobile suits. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, I think my favorite monster design was just the crab from, like, the third episode. Um, or is it... There's one with a crab, and they call it the man crab, but it's like 90% man and like 10% lobster <laughs> and 0% man. Yeah. Um, I think I think the Phantom's probably my favorite monster. I just like Phantom of the Opera riffs. Uh, always have. Love it. Yeah. Um, was that the, the, the... That was the Hex Girls? Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, that was just a good episode, so that's unfair in that monster's favor. Um, uh, I, I really like the bit um, where Shaggy actually breaks up with Velma. Uh, it's a good moment of like, oh, this guy who's like terrified of everyone, uh, and is just like all of his motivations in the interpersonal scenes is just to try to like leave them as quickly as possible, and like actually finally like stands up and says the thing he's been meaning to say all time, which is I don't want, I just want to sit and eat with my dog. Please leave me alone. Yeah, uh, and uh, I really like they actually did that because I, you know, the way that was going, I thought they they could just stretch out the like bickering forever, and it does lead to more. Uh, like shitty stuff from Velma and the like, you know, the way the stuff goes and like, because they portrayed Scooby Doo as like a competing rival because they don't understand yes. that Shaggy's ace, right? It has to be, it has to be through the lens of a love triangle. Even Scooby-Doo though Scooby Doo is like depicted as being jealous after, like at first he's oblivious and then he's jealous, and I'm like, this is like the world's most broken version of chasing Amy that's ever been. Put <laughs> off of. <laughs> Me, you, and Scooby have to. <laughs> ben Affleck is gonna, gonna be like, we have to fuck the dog. <laughs> God, I, you, yes, it really is, isn't it? Jesus, holy yeah. shit. Um, yeah. The the while we're talking about the relationships, uh, we've uh, haven't talked about Daphne's stuff that much, which is a lot about the ways in which, like. Fred is very emotionally unavailable to her. Um, yes. And I think it does a very good job of, like, this being very sympathetic to Daphne about this. And, like, her stuff in the Hex Girls episode about this is really good. I love the scene where she tells Fred off, like, super explicitly about this. And then Velma asks if she's okay. And she's like, no, that was awful. I hated having to do that. Um, yeah. And but it but it does a good job of balancing that with also like making the audience very aware of what is happening with F- Fred to cause this, um, mm. and just like creating the type of interpersonal conflict where both characters are um, sympathetic in why they have the issues they have. Um, yeah, it's it's a very similar dynamic to the Velma and Changi stuff because you have the, like the girl pursuing uh, and the the guy is like you know Fred's not oblivious in the same way, but definitely like it does that. But um, like you know, there's similar setups, but the the Daphne Fred stuff is so much better because Fred doesn't like not understand right. Like Fred's not ace in this show, right? Like in the way that Shaggy just wants to eat with his dog. Like yeah. he doesn't, you know. So they both end up having these same like almost mirrored plots where they like misunderstand their feelings for each other in weird ways. Uh, so it, being on like both of them navigating this makes it feel much more honest than like Velma <laughs> just yeah. reading out pick up artist lines <laughs> and this terrified stoner. <laughs> the the Velma so Vel- stuff is definitely better for showing you another way this could go that is different. Yes. yes. Um, and uh, like it's also like like you said, Shaggy breaking up is great because, like, 
One, it's a sign the show is not just going to be the exact same conflict. Like, yes. it gets to develop after being a love triangle with a dog for ten episodes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and, like, it's aware that, like, this doesn't end the conflict, but it, like, moves it forward. Um, meanwhile, Fred is someone who does reciprocate the feelings, but is terrible at expressing his emotions because of gender. Um, and then Galaxy brains himself into inventing being non-binary about it. Um which they... uh, the thing I like about these two plots being side by side is that Velma and Daphne have a friendship in which they support each other, but do not understand each other at all. No. <laughs> yes. Because their problems overlap just enough for them to be blind to what the other person wants. Because it seems like each other, like they look at the other one, they're like, oh, she's got what she wants. And I want that thing, even though clearly unhappy in it and doesn't really understand why uh, yeah. on both sides. I think it's like really good about that. Yeah. There's a, there's a scene in one of the episodes uh, that is them discussing this and it's and failing to understand each other while also Velma is just being very gay for Daphne in a bikini. Um, <laughs> um, that is like such like a wild thing to have. That's like super early too. I think the it's like the crab episode, which is episode four. Yes. I mean, Velma basically gets an anime nosebleed about <laughs> Daphne in that episode. Uh, yes. Like, it's, it, th this is very, like, 2010 show being like, we can't explicitly say she's gay. Like, this isn't the way, like, the, like, 2020 cartoons have learned they get to do now, uh, because, because things have shifted. I was gonna say, I don't think it's necessarily learning and more, like, top-down. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, uh, you know... Uh, what Cartoon Network will let you do? Uh, like, there's a lot of work that has been put into the shift by the people making these shows fighting for it, mm -hmm. um, which it would which would be bad to like ignore that like they didn't just like oh we can make it gay now uh, like, um, but it's also like like to me in high school when I first watched this being like des like desperate for any gay scraps I could find this like read a lot different to me than it does now when I actually, like, have discovered um, that I can just, like, watch good shit about this. Mm -hmm. um, like, I th like, I think that all this stuff's still interesting, but I would hardly call it, like, I will watch this show because Velma is gay in it. I will watch this show because it is a good Scooby-Doo show. Yeah, it's weird because, it, like, to me it comes explicitly off of the live-action movie, which does this stuff, but it seems much more, like, leering about it. It's like, ah, oh, Velma's, Velma's gay, and that means when she comes out, she's going to be, like, the sex pot that everyone thought she was, nerd sex symbol uh, Velma in Scooby-Doo, and it's just weird. It's just, like, got such a gross energy around it. Which you compare to one of the best jokes in the season, which is the Velma comes out and is like, Shaggy, do you like my bikini? And she's just not. She's just wearing a normal clothes. <laughs> well, I'm wearing it under this. She's like, and just like sits down being grumpy at him. I was like, that's pretty funny. I'll give you that one. Um, yeah. Uh, the other character note we haven't discussed, because it doesn't matter, uh, but I think it is worth noting and then saying it doesn't matter, is that Daphne is given the role of being the one who cares about the A-plot. Uh, <laughs> like, da Daphne, like, finds the clue, and everyone else is dealing with the monster of the week plot, and she's uh, in the prom episode, and she's like, no, I'm going to look into the A-plot. I'm going to go to the creepy library in the basement of the school and look at old newspaper cli clippings like I'm in a different show. The mystery oh. gags are really good. There's one in the last episode where he puts these little clues inside, like, Shaggy's crisps, and then he's, like, burping <laughs> up pieces of paper, <laughs> reading out these clues of mystery. Like, they get so ridiculous with this stuff. Anytime that there's yeah. a chance for some kind of, like, absurd sight gag, they go for it because, you know, it's what cartoons my, do. They love it. My, my favorite is the one where he's, like, pushing the book out from the bookcase, but Daphne just keeps putting it back in the bookcase and not looking at it until he, like, angrily growls at her from behind the bookcase. Yes. Um, and then... But, like, also, the, the prom episode specifically is, I think, the episode that plays with the Monster of the Week format a lot. The Sorry, not a lot, the most. 
because the villain in that episode gives her, like, motivation speech of being, like, the child of one of the, uh, what's new, no, not what's new Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo, where are you villains? And it clearly, like, does not make any sense, because it shows her being, like, ten years younger while the gang is the same age. Yes. Um, (laughs) I remember that bit. (laughs) They they don't even, like, make that flashback with the, like, you know, the canonically older (laughs) mystery team stuff, which they could have done. They No, they just do... And yeah. Like, hey, remember this other episode? And 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 then like ten minutes later, she's like, "Well, some at some point they're going to find out I'm fucking I fucking made all that up, um, and like <laughs> yeah. that villain didn't have a daughter, and this doesn't make any sense. And you hired me to do a haunting to give them a book. <laughs> um, but I think like when when we talk about when Emma's like talking about the way this show like is, acknowledges the Scooby Doo like formula but just like does it um and uh, like is it like isn't the show that is self-aware and thinks what the show is is stupid um yes is like this show expects you to go in and knowing what a scooby-doo plot is and liking watching scooby-doo plots which i think is like a critical distinction because like most scooby-doo stuff like the directed dvd movies they're making now also expect you to know a scooby-doo plot and generally the ones that are good are the ones where they're like and you'll love it and the ones that are bad are like isn't this stupid Mm -hmm. um like you can't do a scooby-doo thing that thinks scooby-doo isn't good it doesn't work yeah, and that's like the difference between this stuff and some of the stuff in the uh, first live action movie, right? Where like this is like a whole cultural thing in the two thousands, you know, even to today. But I think of it more being like a twenty tens, uh, early twenty tens, uh, late two thousand situation of like you know the nerds are going to deconstruct shit. This is like the thing you know, but self aware about it and also aware of how it's broken and stupid. Um, yeah. And this feels like a much more earnest version of that, as opposed to the like. I don't know what the word is. It's kind of kind of superior vibe, right? When something makes a show that's basically about how this thing that they like is actually dumb because of all these logical inconsistencies or whatever. Uh, and I'm glad that this um, this series doesn't fall into that uh, kind of a way of doing deconstruction. It's and it would be very easy from the show's reputation to think it does because everyone yes. talks about this as like the gritty Scooby Doo yes. show because it it has an a plot where like there is shit happening like five people have disappeared and like th- this is serious but like it doesn't lean into being gritty in the way where it thinks being silly is dumb it just thinks it can also have some like long term stakes. Yeah. Yeah, I I, def- I didn't watch this for a long time because I was like, oh, the this is going to be just another like you know modernist deconstruction of Scooby Doo by people who think Scooby Doo is like silly, um, and they people make the show know Scooby Doo is kind of dumb, but in a good way, right? Like yeah. you can you can point out the ways in which something is like a silly cartoon for kids made 40, 50 years ago and still enjoy the thing and still make versions of it that work. Yeah. Um... But uh, yeah, no, I, I really like the show. I was really surprised. I was not yeah. expecting to uh, enjoy it as much as I did. Yeah, uh, yeah, me too. I, I had a great time. I am. Um, I just, I just thought it was really funny, uh, which is uh, the part that um, uh, not surprised me, but just um, you know, it's just a well-written show most of the time. The jokes are good, and that's really all you need on some level, right? Like you can, we can talk about the stuff, and this stuff is interesting and good, and I'm glad it's there. But uh, the show needs to make you laugh. It's a comedy show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, half my notes are just like jokes out of context that I don't yeah. remember anymore. But I'm like, uh, this must have made me laugh at the time, or I wouldn't have written it down. Um, mm-hmm. In the second episode, they do the exact same joke that about like someone doing uh, mechanic stuff on the mystery machine and just being like, "Yep, your problem is there isn't an engine in this." Like twice within two minutes. Um, it's funny. <laughs> it's good. And it's just like, this should be stupid, but I do like it. Uh, Patrick yeah. Wilburn bit at the end where he's like, I'm going to arrest you even though I have no jurisdiction here. And then he just does. It's great. Uh, yeah, that character would not work at all with a, a different voice actor, but it, but I love him um, as the great shitty Patrick Warburton cop. Do we have anything else, or do that? No, Is that this episode? I think, that, I think that's everything. I've yeah, got. I think that's about it. All right, thank you very much uh, for yeah. asking us to do this. 
Yeah, I'm glad everyone enjoyed the show and had a good time. Me too. Yeah. Um, plugs. Sniper, do you want to plug your work? Yeah, um, I design tabletop role-playing games. Uh, the one, well, the one that is out is called Anomaly. It is a game, uh, it's like SCP control-inspired about a group of people investigating a supernatural object. And by group of people, I mean a shitty, uh, sinister organization. Uh, you can find that at sniperserpent.itch.io. Um, and you can also find the expansion Anomaly Containment Breach, which is more being explicitly what control is. Um, yeah, and hopefully there'll be some more games on there soon, because I'm designing stuff. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Um, I guess we just have plugs to do now. Yeah, go. Yeah, you can find me at headfallsoff at twitter.com, and you can find the podcast at me and MD at abnormapping.com. Please listen to them. They're good. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at em underscore being. If you'd like to support the podcast, all the work we do, you can do that at patreon.com slash mapping. Uh, for $1, you get Gundam. We're watching Gundam X and Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex second gig right now. Uh, it's been a great time. Um, we have another one of these probably next month, but it's kind of up in the air. Schedules on uh, beach houses are going to get a little weird lately. If we do another episode next month, it's going to be on Gurren Lagan episodes 1 through 15. But that might not happen. We don't know. <laughs> but if there's going to be one, that's what it's going to be. If that doesn't happen, whatever's going to be next will be... Uh, I'll, I'll, we'll say it on Gundam. Uh, everyone listening to this probably listens to Gundam. So. <laughs> I assume so. Well, you know, we'll tweet yeah. it out. We'll, do, we'll let you know. We'll be able to... Yeah. Uh, but that's the current of the plan. Sometimes things change. We just don't really know what's going on over there. Yeah. Um, so that's it. Thanks again, Sniper. Uh, yeah. And uh, thanks to you, Scooby-Doo. Yes, goodbye. <laughs>